This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. It's great to be here, and really, it's always a pleasure to have Rick Courtney on. I know he was on the last hour uh, in Money Talks, so uh, he is really doing double duty this morning. And uh, I hope people recognize, you know, for an attorney of his caliber to give uh, two hours of free time uh, to try to help uh, the public. That's hey, that's I don't, really I don't know that it was free. I bribed him with breakfast this morning. <laughs> yeah, I think he got some donuts out of this. McDonald's. Uh, yeah, right. oh yeah, hey, sausage biscuit. That was great. I'm fortified now. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, we would like to welcome Richard Courtney from Courtney Elder Law Associates, a firm that specializes in elder law special needs planning and estate planning. Uh, if you did miss our previous hour, Money Talks for July 2nd, 2019, uh, attorney Richard Courtney spoke about the Mississippi ABLE accounts, a, a five. 29 type of account for funding uh, individuals with special needs so that they still met their uh, government income criteria Mm -hmm. for receiving benefits. So if you've missed that, uh, usually by the afternoon of this show, it should be on our website. But welcome to MPB. Glad to be back. (laughs) You know, today we're going to talk about guardianships, Rick. And and, uh, I know a lot of people want to know, what's the difference between a guardianship and a conservatorship or a trustee or any other fiduciary? Well, that's something that I've been trying to figure out, uh, Professor Gershon, and for a long time. So <laughs> maybe you can help me. Now, guardianship and conservatorship, our laws have been sort of antiquated in Mississippi for years and years. And we have uh, gotten a new act that's going to be coming, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, that, that really updates our guardianship and conservatorship laws. But as I've been asked that question before, Conservatorship is a proceeding where the person that you're seeking a conservatorship over is determined or deemed to be, quote, unable to manage their personal or financial affairs. It's inability to manage affairs, whether it's from a disease like Alzheimer's or just from uh, they're they're not able to resist uh, being exploited or that sort of thing. It's for any number of reasons. They're unable to manage their affairs. Whereas a guardianship is uh, proceeding to take over authority over a person who has a an actual or legal disability. Now, we've considered that to be most often for children. They're under the disability of minority. They're minors. They're under age 21. And so they cannot legally effectively manage their own affairs. They can't sign contracts for themselves or own property. So they have to have a, a guardian. Parents are the natural legal guardians most often, but they 
parents may die and there has to be another guardian appointed possibly so that's a guardianship for a minor and I have pointed out to people in the past our guardianship laws would allow a person an adult with a physical disability who's capable of deciding things for themselves to request the court to appoint a guardian for themselves because they have an actual disability and they say well I can't really manage all my personal daily affairs or uh, things and I need help so but we don't we haven't seen that very much in the past it's usually where it's a minor child and the parents are deceased or they maybe parental rights have been terminated and there's another person appointed guardian a grandparent or someone like that or it's an adult where there's dementia or incapacity that's come along and now the children are trying to get a conservatorship to do things for mom or dad well, I, you know, my, by the way, my children probably are trying to do that right now for me. But uh, <laughs> the, the question I have for an adult, wouldn't a power of attorney really be maybe a better avenue? Because then you can pick the person yourself as opposed to having a court appointed. It absolutely is. If I have the capacity to decide who I want to manage things for me, if I can't, uh, then I can do a power of attorney that names someone as my agent. Now, that doesn't take away my authority. That's a misconception some people have had they said well I'm not ready to give that up yet I said you're not giving anything up Sam if you appoint your daughter as power of attorney you can actually revoke it if you don't like that choice you can revoke it and do another one or tear it up or remove that authority but you're giving someone naming them as having authority over doing certain things for you if you become unable to do those for yourself so it is an essential planning document we consider for any state plan is a power of attorney for financial things and a medical power of attorney or health care directive as that's called and you mentioned trustee while ago an agent under a power of attorney a guardian or conservator appointed through the court or a trustee that I may name in a trust that I'm setting up uh, all are considered fiduciaries and that term means they have a special high degree of loyalty and responsibility toward me, the beneficiary. They have to do what they think is in my best interest or in, in power of attorney language, they have to do what they think I would do under the circumstances if they're trying to go out and transact business for me. But a trustee is another way for me to name someone who's going to have control and authority over certain assets or property called the trust estate, and they can deal with those assets for my benefit if, if I'm the beneficiary of that trust. I want to jump in since I also produce money talks. We've mentioned before, oftentimes banks might not necessarily honor a power of attorney or not want to honor a power of attorney. Is a a guardian or a, a, a trustee a higher legal responsibility that someone must acknowledge? Yes, generally the a power of attorney, an agent I may appoint say my daughter as my power of attorney and I get incapacitated and she goes to the bank with that power of attorney. 
she is just my agent voluntarily appointed by me. The bank really can't tell if she's doing what I want her to do and they feel they're exposed to some risk if she might be trying to take my money from me without me really wanting that. But if there is a guardian or conservator that has been appointed for me in court, that means a court has determined this person has authority. They stand in Rick's shoes, so the banks have to honor that. And also a trustee, banks will honor trustee actions because they're familiar with the hundreds of years, or uh, could probably say you know exactly when they first had the first trust. I don't know, but um, way, way back, there's been a long body of trust law, and the trustee is the owner of the trust assets, so they feel more uh, comfortable dealing with trustees and with guardians appointed in court. But as Professor Gershon brought up, I have often told people, and I still do to this day, to me, guardianship or conservatorship is a last resort. Let's see if you can do a power of attorney or some other trust document or something that can enable someone to manage their affairs without the involvement of the courts. And that's always more convenient and less expensive to do the planning to put that in place. Uh, so everybody should get those things done. Well, we're just dipping into this uh, topic this morning. We would love for you to call and participate with your questions. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You could also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Professor Gershon, what were you going to say? I just I, I was going to point out that uh, what Rick was saying is so important. People think about estate planning is involving property and how their property will pass. But estate planning involves also planning for disability as well and, and the the, uh, the chance that maybe at some point as we get older we develop dementia or we have some kind of disability and, and having that plan in place is so important. That's right. So who you mentioned that a guardian is someone um, that the, the courts would appoint. You could request or it could be uh, appointed. So who is someone who would need a guardian? Well, a minor child under 21, if their parents die or no longer have parental rights, that child needs a guardian to manage their affairs, to uh, set up uh, where they're going to go to school, where they get their medical treatment, to make those decisions about the day-to-day affairs of that child and be responsible for that, since the child can't legally do it for themselves. An adult who has an incapacity may need a guardian of the person, let's say my mom has begun, and this is not true, mom, if you're listening, that, but uh, that my mother has begun to wander. She's not taking her medications properly. She is being exploited by people coming to the house saying, we need some money to do this around your yard. And they come the three times a week and she doesn't remember and she keeps spending her money. She may need a guardian to take over handling her affairs to say where she will live, where she will get medical care, when she will get it, because she's not doing it on her own, uh, to sort of control some of those day-to-day affairs for her welfare and benefit. A conservator uh, would handle her property and money and make sure her bills get paid. There may be a need. She's not doing her financial management well. So that would be a conservator of her uh, property or estate. 
So that's all, most often where we see conservatorships or guardianships. Sometimes a school will tell parents, well, your child has a disability, Down syndrome or autism, and now um, you're going to need uh, to get a, they're turning 18. You're going to have to get a guardianship over them. And I said, why did they tell you that? Well, they just said, I have to. I said, well, no, you don't. If they're willing to continue to deal with you and make decisions based on your input for that child, don't rock that boat, so to speak. My granddaddy would say, don't kick that sleeping dog off the porch. But, you know, um, if it's not broke, don't fix it by immediately going out and getting a guardianship or conservatorship because that puts you into the court system from now on uh, or until that child becomes an adult and maybe even past that. So sometimes people have to get a guardianship over a child or an adult when there is some illness, injury, uh, or minor situation, and they're dealing with a third party that says, we're not willing to deal with anybody except a court-appointed guardian. All right. Well, we're going to continue our discussion about guardianships. We're also going to get into the GAP Act. So this is your time to call in, as Norman and James have, so that we can get your calls in before the end of the hour. If you have a question about laws concerning special needs and conservatorships, give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You could also send us an email to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Do you have questions about the new Mississippi laws that modernize the way guardianships are dealt with? We'll get to those in our hour. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. We realize that not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law and our guest, Richard Courtney, who's been a great friend to MPB today and through uh, through the the, the years. He was just on our last hour speaking about the ABLE account that was Money Talks on July 2nd, 2019. And But he was also been on In Legal Terms talking about estate planning on May 14th of 2019. This morning we're talking about guardianships and conservatorships and some new Mississippi laws. But we did get an email. Um, last week we had an adoption show and they use the word guardianship there, which is the same as as a, a guardian is someone that the court appoints? Yes, that's right. It appears that the, the question was that a, it's a grandparent who has guardianship now of a 17-year-old grandchild, and the parents of that child had in a divorce settlement agreed to the custody to be changed so that a grandmother would be the guardian, legal guardian. And the question was, can the 
parents just take the child back and undo that guardianship? And my answer would be no. Those are court proceedings, and you have to go back to those courts. So my impression is, uh, and this is not an opinion, but of course, but my impression is that the parents would have to go back to the divorce court and get a judgment undoing that um, earlier custody agreement to take that child back into their custody again. So the grandmother would have to be noticed and get some notice that that was taking place. All right. And now we have two calls. Hang on, Professor Gershon. We have two calls that we'd like to get to. First, we're going to go to Norman, who's calling from Holly Springs. Norman, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead. Okay, well, um, this question is about the intent to uh, subvert or move money around so that it's less available, for example, to someone who would want to sue you. Uh, I think that it appears that there's no penalty for making up a story and suing somebody. So therefore, it seems logical that it might be okay to move money around somehow to make that money unavailable to such persons. But here's what I want you to tell me. There must be some limit as to some rules and some laws that prevent one from actually willfully hiding money. So your last hour seemed to appear that there's no problem with that sort of thing. No, I'm finished with my question now. All right, Norman. No, last hour we were talking about an ABLE account, which is a federally enacted law that allows people with disabilities to have a savings account that won't be uh, disqualify them from Medicaid or SSI. But in, your, in response to your question, there are laws and rules about improperly moving money around to evade the claims of your creditors, those that you owe money to. They're called fraudulent transfer acts, and we have one in Mississippi. And it says if you move assets or resources from your own uh, ownership, knowing that there's a likely claim out there against you, then that fraud, that transfer could be considered fraudulent later. And that creditor could, if they dug hard enough, get back and get those assets back to collect their debt from. So uh, there are laws and rules about that. All right. Norman, thank you so much for calling in. We're speaking with our guest, Richard Courtney, and we've been talking about uh, uh, guardianships and who appoints a guardian. The court appoints a guardian or a conservator. It's a court proceeding, and so someone is the petitioner. Someone comes forward and signs a petition that is prepared by an attorney that says this other person needs a guardian or needs a conservator to manage their property and assets and I am a proper person to do that because I, I'm not I'm over 18 and I'm not convicted of a felony I think those are the criteria for most fiduciaries 
And so uh, it says I'm, I'm the proper person to do that because of my relationship to them, and I'm asking to do that. Then that petition gets filed in court, and a copy of it has to be delivered to the person that we're trying to get guardianship or conservatorship over and some other people who are required to get notice of that so other people know this is going on. That's one of the things that our new Guardianship Act has changed somewhat and improved over the way it used to be because our old law said if I'm trying to get a conservatorship over my mother because I don't like my brother, her, her giving money to my brother, and I think she's explo- he's exploiting her. Well, I want to take over my mom's finances. Uh, I could go to court and file a petition, and it says that the petition has to be served on mom and one other family member of the closest kinship in Mississippi. Well, let's say I've got a sister who is in you know con- concert with me, and I, I send her a copy of it. I don't have to let my brother know. And so I could get that, go to court, get a conservatorship appointed, and he never knew or had an opportunity to come in and say anything about it. The new guardianship law that we have coming up to become effective next year expands the list of people who would be entitled to notice so that anybody who's really got an interest in that person or their financial affairs or their daily affairs will know that this proceeding is going on. But it is ultimately the court who will decide, yes, this person who's asking to be guardian or conservator, they're the right person. The court can say, nope, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to appoint this other person. All right. We do have a call. Hold on, uh, James. If you would like to call in and participate on our show, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email, as Edward did, to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Gentlemen, listening with great interest today, when a person becomes unable to care for their affairs due to dementia and a conservatorship is required, can the conservator engage in any asset protection strategies such as, I did not take Latin, such as inter vivos transfers? It seems that the courts would look skeptically at such a transaction by the conservator. What if the conservator transfers property into an irrevocable trust for the benefit of the ward. Uh, yes, guardians can engage in some planning for the benefit of the ward under our current law. It says that the guardian or conservator of the estate can get authority from the court to uh, do tax planning or to you know do things that uh, Professor Gershon would you know be able to do for them uh, and or tax lawyers you know could do to protect from taxes. We have also been successful in going to a court and saying your honor this conservator conservator child believes that it's in mom's best interest to allow her to get Medicaid benefits to help pay a nursing home and dad is in an assisted living facility Uh, we think it's in mom's best interest and dad's best interest to uh, uh, move some money from mom's account to dad's account and when the court looks at it to determine if it's in mom's best interest, then the courts have agreed with that in some 
occasions and said, yeah, we think that's a good plan. We're going to go ahead and allow that to happen. It's not that someone's exploiting or taking their money, stealing it, and doing things, other things. So, yes, they could. Under the new GAP Act, the new Guardianship and Conservatorship Act coming in next year, there is a longer list of affairs and planning-type strategies, doing inter vivos gifting. That means while you're living. So, yeah, giving some of the wards money to other people or things. The the act uh, is trying to honor the planning and voluntary things that people have put in place and not overturn those with a court conservatorship. So it does limit conservators from overtaking some of those plans and doing something other than what the individual had already intended or started to do. And they have to carry out some of those other things. So it honors powers of attorney. It says where those are already in place, the guardian's not going to take that over, not going to assume that role. Health care decision-making wills and trust it, it says where there are trusts in place that were already there that someone was, had started doing then we're going to leave those alone so there is more um, concession or accommodation of what the ward was doing on their own before a conservator was appointed and we're going to try not to rock that boat too much and, and overtake their own concerns does a conservator have to go to a court to get permission to do most anything Yes, because you're handling someone else's assets and affairs, you have to get to the court to get authority. And again, in the new law, and it's helpful to attorneys, and this new law is going to help attorneys a lot, because in previous years, we've had to kind of figure out, is this something that we can do without court approval, or is it going to have to be court approval? Well, we're just going to try to get court approval for everything. There are now sections in the new law that say these are powers that a conservator has or a guardian has without court approval. So it's clearly laid out. There are things you can do without going to court and spending attorney's time and money to do that. So it's very helpful. I love things that are spelled out. All right, let's take our next call. Uh, James is calling in from Biloxi. James, thanks for being a part of In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Good morning. Doing fine. I need help with closing out an estate of... I don't know, say, if he's my dad or my uncle, because he told me the night before he died that he was my dad. He even told my daughter and my granddaughter that they were his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So I'm stuck with trying to get this estate closed out. Mm -hmm. And I need legal help doing so. Well, that sounds like there's some proving your uh, relationship in order to know whether you're entitled to something. Did he have a will? No, he didn't. Well, then heirship or inheritance law would take over, and it says his assets passed to his surviving spouse and children in equal shares. Was he married at the time of his death? Uh, his nurse at the district had did an investigation and found out he wasn't married, but on the death certificate, it shows he was married. So, um, okay. okay, so she, you- she and she and his brother, she and my the old man's brother took me to court, and Judge Fountain ruled in my favor and dismissed the case. And right now, I've been working with Chancery Court here, trying to find out what all I need to do to get get things closed out completely. It sounds like you need a lawyer that's. Uh 
proficient in estate probate law and uh, sort of sort out that relationship thing before you go further uh, because that is, you know, important detail in there in determining who's eligible to receive his assets through his it's estate. Kinda, it's kind of hard for me to believe that he, he, he was lying because, you know, he called me in here. I fixed his dinner. He didn't even bother eating it that night. He he was crying when he told me that I was his son. Mm-hmm. Well, there he may died be that, he he died that same night. There may be other things like if there was a birth certificate, your birth certificate, that would be some evidence of who your parents were. Um, if there is um, an airship affidavit, someone who knew him for years and years and could say, yes, I know that he had these children, including you, that could be possible proof in a court to determine that you are, in fact, a child and not his nephew. So, but you're going to need to go get legal help, counsel, and you may already have an attorney or someone that helped with the other lawsuit who could refer somebody down there to you. If not, you could call our office and um, 601-987-3000 is our office number, and we could try to help you get farther down this line. Thank you, James, and uh, we wish you best of luck of dealing with this. Uh, yeah, what a surprise. Yeah, uh, this uh, tumultuous time. Uh, Professor Gerson, you hang on. We need to take our next break. We're talking with attorney Richard Courtney about conservatorships and guardianships and some new Mississippi laws. But we hope you'll give us a call with your questions. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Are you curious about where you can get additional information? We'll tell you when we come back from the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Gershon is our expert from the University of Mississippi School of Law, and we hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast, as we hope Professor Gershon gets all of his students to do up there at the law school. Now, there are many different podcasting platforms. I like Podcast Addict, but there's Stitcher or uh, Spotify. You can download it to your Android phone, touch the plus, and then that lets you search for podcasts. You can then type in in legal terms in the search area. It'll bring up our show and then you're able to touch the photo and subscribe. If you have an Apple phone, you've already got your uh, platform on your phone and you can just search the same way. And if you subscribe, you're notified when any new episodes are up. This morning, we're talking about conservatorships and guardianships and our new Mississippi laws with our guest, Richard Courtney. And if you'd like to contact him or see some of the wonderful information he has on his website. It's elderlawms 
Com, and there's videos and there's access to Richard Courtney's Essential Planning Guide for Special Needs Children and Adults. If you want to contact his office directly, their office's number is 601-987-3000. We're going to go back to the phone and Olivia has called in. Olivia, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for having me. So my question is also in regard to estates. Um, My husband's father passed away some years ago, I guess about five years now. At the time, my husband and I were in our 20s. Um, my My husband is was his only son. He was not married at the time. And so the two of us handled everything by ourselves. We didn't have a lawyer other than to open the estate at the courthouse for us and to get us the proper documents that we needed in order to be able to address bank accounts and that sort of thing. So now that we have completed everything, closed all of the accounts, handled all of his affairs, is there something that we need to do at the courthouse or in regard to his estate to sort of close or finalize that? Yes, estates need to be opened, as you say, to get you involved in getting those accounts together and marshaled while creditors are notified. And then once the creditors have been notified and it's been all wrapped up, you need to go back to court and file a petition to close the estate and have the judge sign an order closing the estate and letting you go as executor or administrator, whatever, whichever term you were, uh, to, to get you you off the hook then and is that something that we can do ourselves or do we need um, an attorney to do that our state rules say that you need an attorney to do that in an estate proceeding okay all right that answers my question thank you so much all right thank you olivia Rick, you know, we're talking about guardianships and um, the new uh, guardianship law, and you mentioned uh, it's going to modernize the way we do guardianships in Mississippi. Um, can you talk about some of the specific changes that took place under the GAP Act and, and when they're going to be effective? One thing that our old guardianship procedures did was it just said you, in order to get a guardianship over someone, you have mm-hmm. to have a statement from two doctors that say they've examined that person, they're not able to manage their own affairs because of some condition, and therefore it supports the conservatorship. We were seeing all kinds of um, statements uh, that attorneys would draft. They'd be one-sentence things. I think this person needs a conservator after my examination, signed Dr. Jones. You know, and it, it really didn't go much into the due process rights that that person has. Did they really get what the law should give them in an event? Evaluation. So one thing that the new GAP Act, and that stands for Guardianship and Protection Act, and it's an overhaul of our guardianship and conservatorship proceedings, it provides that uh, the evaluation must be sufficient. There will be a, a form that doctors can be given and used, so it will be uniform across the state. Lawyers won't have to try to figure out what to say in this doctor's statement or rely on the doctors to do it. And so it will have enough information in it to show how the physician came to understand that this person doesn't have the ability to manage their own affairs. The um, 
conservatorship statutes also provide that the evaluation doesn't have to be done by two doctors because there are a lot of rural areas in Mississippi where you can't get to two doctors to get mom evaluated or something. So it says two licensed physicians or one licensed physician and one licensed psychologist, which we have had in our statute already, but the new law includes nurse practitioners and physician assistants. So often those are available in a rural area where a doctor is not. So you could get two medical exams. It also says that the evaluation can be face-to-face with the doctor or medical provider or by telemedicine. So it makes it easier for people to navigate this medical evaluation process uh, in, in that regard. As I mentioned earlier, the new law expands the uh, notice provisions to say that if someone is asking to be the appointed as a guardian of a child, then in fact, then certain people have to get notice of that. It's the child. If the child is over 14, it's each parent of the child um, and each individual who has had primary care of the child over the last uh, six months, maybe grandparents or something, and anyone else if the court thinks there's somebody else that needs to know. For a conservator, and that's the person now who's going to take over management of property and money, the notice provision says the notice has to be given to any legal custodian of that adult. So say if mom or grandma is the one we're trying to get a a conservatorship over uh, and manage her her financial affairs, we have to give notice to her legal custodian, to the co-owners on property with her. So anybody she owns property with, their name's on it too, have to be notified. Any conservator that's already been appointed for her, um, the uh, spouse, children, parents, and siblings of the adult. So it is an effort to make sure that all persons who have a valid interest in the affairs of this person get notified that this process is going on. There's also provision for an emergency guardian. So if someone is uh, determined, they come in from out of town where you live in another state, and they come in and they realize mom or dad has had a, a health event happen, or they've, they've been subject to a scam, or there's something going on, and they need to quickly take control of that, they can file for a, an emergency guardianship, and it can last for up to 60 days and be extended another 60 if the court needs to. So. Uh, uh, there are specific provisions for those things that weren't in there before. We, we lawyers were just trying to figure out, well, what do we need to file? And now there will be some routine forms that will be available through the uh, w- through the help of the Judicial College up at Ole Miss. And uh, Bubba Pierce up there, uh, former legislator and Supreme Court Justice Randy Pierce and his group at the Judicial College are helping devise those forms and things that lawyers will be able to use in a uniform fashion to make these things happen. And the one other thing I'll say about the guardianship and how it's updated things 
there is an emphasis on the independence and autonomy of those people. My grandmother, just because she's got dementia doesn't mean she didn't try to do things for herself in the way she wanted them done. So the new law says we will honor what she already had in place, powers of attorney, health care directives, trusts. We're not going to overturn those with a conservator taking over everything. We're going to limit the powers and authority of conservators and guardians to give deference to what the person can do for themselves or already has in place for themselves. So that is a a more modern view of how we need to deal with people, not just control, take over, you know, terminate their authority to do anything, which has sort of been the way conservatorships and guardianships have been in Mississippi for a long time. The um, your your law school class may be interested in this. We studied when the uh, task force was studying this new law. We looked at the previous law. It's based on the the Uniform Act, which is a federal uniform statute that was developed that states could look at. The Uniform Guardianship, Conservatorship, and Protective Arrangements Act. And the previous Uniform Act had been the Uniform Guardianship, Conservatorship, and Protective Proceedings Act. Well, the use of the word proceedings in that older one realized that, well, most of this is court stuff. The Protective Arrangements Act is recognizes more that, no, there are other arrangements people make in their lives. I may have a group of people helping me manage my finances, and I don't need that to be taken over by a court and overseen. If that is the case, our new law allows the chancery court judge to say, no, Rick's financial affairs are overseen by a group of supporters, and he is going. we're not going to override that with the conservator and can limit the conservator's authority. So it's to protect the rights and uh, and responsibilities, but also to allow uh, the independence of people and, and what we've put in place already to continue on, even if we go under a conservatorship. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of our show. Call in with your questions now. We have a chance to take maybe just one or two more. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also send us an email, legal terms at mpbonline.org. We'll wrap up our show when we come back. This is in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show. We are we're kind of transitioning. We've got a couple of e- uh, websites, and they both go to the same place. 
inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. You can also find us on our podcast. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking about guardianships in the new GAP Act with attorney Richard Courtney. And once again, if you wanted to see some of the information on Mr. Courtney's website, it's elderlawms.com. And the phone number for his office is 601-987-3000. We do have a call who's waiting. We're going to go to Lee in Woodville. Lee, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. All right. Good morning. Good morning, Lee. First of all, to both of the attorneys in there, I'd like to um, say that I have an aunt, and she has her eldest son, her oldest son, who has an attorney, but the attorney abruptly died. And he has a son in South Haven, Mississippi, a son in Woodville, Mississippi, and his second wife in Woodville, Mississippi. And we don't know who is the conservator of his estate. Uh, How would we go about finding out who is the conservator of his estate? And my cousin has a case, and he's paid this man a bunch of money. But nobody has gotten in contact with the family to return the proceeds action do we want to select another attorney. So you're asking how to get in touch with the conservator or the executor of the deceased attorney's estate? Correct. To try to get money back or see. Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you could check the county chancery court records in the county where the attorney lived because that's where an estate would be filed if they open an estate for him. But um, you would try calling his office to see if they can tell you who is taking over his cases and that sort of thing. That's where I would start first. Uh if, if you don't have any success there, I would suggest getting another lawyer. You're going to have to get another lawyer anyway to work with your aunt's estate or conservatorship. So uh, getting another attorney, and then that attorney can work th- with directly with the other lawyer's office or through the state bar to decide if there's anything owed back to you from fees that were paid but work not done, that sort of thing. But uh, that's what I would suggest is try to get in touch with the attorney's office if you can't get another lawyer lawyer and uh, see if they can do that for you. I would think we'll be looking forward to working with somebody. Mm-hmm. Good luck, Lee. We appreciate you calling in. And now we have about four minutes <laughs> that right. we can wrap yeah. up uh, talking about uh, the gover- uh, governor uh, guardianships and conservatorships and the GAP Act. And mm-hmm. what? when did you say this new uh, legislation will take effect? Yeah, the Mississippi Guardianship and Conservatorship Act will take effect January 1 of 2020. So the new law has 
been enacted by the legislature this past session. We're in the process now of letting people know and letting attorneys and chancery clerks and judges know what the act says. There'll be more articles and education courses coming out about it so that lawyers can start next year with this new act. It is it's systematizing in some regard and updating our conservatorship and guardianship processes so it will be easier for lawyers to understand how to go in and do things. It will also have a component that educates the conservator or the guardian as to what their responsibilities are, and that will be part of the uh, process so they won't just be left in the dark and not hear from the lawyer, and they, I don't know what to do with mom's money now. So there's going to be have to be that education component as well to let them know. Well, I will say this podcast is going to be required listening for my wills and estates classes of this summer and also uh, this coming fall. Um, new laws have a way of finding them themselves on a bar exam in the, in the following year, so uh, I want to make sure my students are aware of this new law. That's right. Well, the variations of guardianship are recognized in the new law. There can be a temporary guardian appointed or conservator, there, and that's another thing it does. It, it, it updates our terminology. Now, guardian means someone who will be responsible for the personal affairs, not the finances. Conservator will be the person who is responsible for property and finances of a child or adult. So we don't have that confusion anymore. Well, conservator must be for old people that can't manage their affairs and guardians are for kids, right? No, but now it's going to be guardian is the person who's going to manage an adult or child's personal affairs. A conservator, is, and it may be the same person in both roles, but the conservator is the person who's in charge of the property and financial affairs of that person. So that's a, that's an improvement. There are limited guardianships, recognizing that if there's already powers of attorney in place, and again, going back to what uh, Professor Gershon said early in the show, we encourage everybody to get your estate planning done because guardianship and conservatorship is a last resort. It's expensive for family members that have to do do it. It's not something they enjoy doing. You can avoid that in many cases by doing powers of attorney, getting your trust in place if you want to have property on a trust to avoid the probate process at death. We know we've had some calls about that. So there are things you can do if you just go see a lawyer that knows what they're doing and gets you, and you get help with that uh, in doing your planning and avoid the need for conservatorship or guardianship later. But if you do need one, we're going to have an updated law coming up next year that will make it uh, easier for attorneys to navigate that. It'll be easier for conservators to know what they can do with or without court approval and, and all those things. So, yes, your students will be getting in on the ground floor of this. Uh, Professor Gershon? Well, and we appreciate that you being here today for us, uh, Richard Courtney. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. You. That, that's, right. that's our hour has just flown by, so that's going to wrap up for today's In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been uh, Michelle McAdoo, and we've got our intern, Jordan, who's been helping out, and Jay White has been our board engineer. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress, and we hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for another in legal terms on MPB Think Radio.
is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 